Welcome to BDO Talks ERISA, a monthly podcast from BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. Each month, we'll be talking best practices around all things ERISA, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of ERISA's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's ERISA Services Group and the insights we share through the ERISA Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Welcome to another podcast for BDO Talks ERISA. I'm Beth Garner, National Practice Leader for our Employee Benefit Plan Audit Group and a partner at BDO. We are excited to have you join us today. As we've said before, this podcast is an extension of our BDO ERISA Center of Excellence. We developed the podcast to expand on topics and issues that we bring to you through our social media postings on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and our quarterly ERISA Roundup. The goal of our Center of Excellence is to truly help any plan sponsor and anyone charged with governance of their retirement plan with up-to-date information on what's going on in the industry. We know that HR professionals wear many hats within their organization, and our Center of Excellence can be a wonderful place to quickly get up-to-date information to help them with their responsibilities. So today, we have a topic that is very near and dear to our hearts, since, let's be honest, we spend most of our waking hours doing this, and that is employee benefit plan audits. So there are some HR professionals right now getting ready to sign their engagement letters or have uh, already signed those letters with their auditors just like they do every year. But then there's, you know, maybe some HR professionals where they just realized, oh my goodness, the number of my plan participants went over the threshold at the beginning of the year. And oh my goodness, we're, we're required to have our first plan audit ever, which is nerve wracking to um, people that call us a lot of times. And, So we know that, like I said, you wear many hats and you're generally crazy busy. And let's get real, this, you know, this past year was busy on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) We thought we would discuss a few tips and tricks and, you know, when it comes to interacting with plan auditors, as well as some changes that you could actually expect to, you know, see from last year to this year. So, of course, joining me on the podcast today is my co-host, Joanne Zupka, but, um, she likes to have a fun fact every time we do these podcasts, if you've listened to the previous ones. And so I thought I would surprise her today on uh, my fun fact. So bring it on. Okay. So I don't know if you've heard this term before, but you have a work best friend. So Joanne is my work best friend. And yeah, I'm sure that's a shocker for you. (laughs) Since I have to talk to you all the time, or I am each other. (laughs) So Gallup included a question on an employee engagement research project that having a best friend at work, guess what? If a woman professional has a work best friend, then they are more than twice as likely to be engaged. Study says 63%. Compared to women who say otherwise, and that's down low at 29%. We're definitely part of that 63%. We're engaged, best friends at work, and talk all the time. So she is a director in our Philly office and a very important part of our EBP team. So happy to have you with me, Joe. So how do you like my fun fact? 
I was highly impressed. And I have to say, you are my work best friend as well. Um, and I would say 63. I mean, come on, 63%, much, much higher. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, my, yeah. Husband, my husband would really like for me to talk about work less, not more. Well, you know, I wonder what the statistics are for a work husband, because I'm sure I've got one of those two somewhere. Yeah. Around. <laughs> I think we all do have that too. And it's amazing, right, in this day and age, um, we're remote, right? Because when people listen to us, clearly, hopefully they can identify that we have two different accents. I'm from the Northeast, you're from the South, you know, tomato, And tomato. we get along. I know, I know. Amazing stuff. All right, so I am happy to be back with you once again. And, you know, as you said, this is a topic that we know so much about. I feel like I live, eat, and breathe this, um, auditing benefit plans. So let's jump into that discussion. Yeah, so, you know, let's talk about the two parts or what we say are two big parts of an EBP audit. And so that first part is what we call planning. And then the second part, we kind of call that final field work when we're dealing with talking about where we're at in an audit. And that would be kind of like your testing kind of phase. So um, since we're talking about those two parts, planning and final field work, Joe, why don't you go into, let's explain what, what exactly goes on into plan, in planning. Okay. So first things first, as you said, it requires a signed engagement letter. Once we have that, we can start to move into the planning phase of the audit. Um, and it encompasses m multiple things, right? Um, basically, it boils down to, again, two parts, scoping and risk assess, which then help us design our audit plan, our audit approach. Um, during scoping, we look at such things um, at like, were there any changes to the plan or the plan operations? Um, we're going to obtain the audit package from the plan service provider. Um, we're going to start working with the plan sponsor um, on how their plan works, like kind of getting into the details. Uh, we may ask the same questions year after year, but again, it's wanting to know if anything has changed. Once that's complete, we then move into the risk assessment part of the audit. Yeah, so I think that, you know, when people come in and you say, hey, I'm going to get the engagement letter and I'm going to scope it, and they understand that. But then when you start talking about risk assessment, they're like, what? If they've not gone through, you know, this before, it's, it's what is risk assessment? And so as auditors, what we have to do is we have to learn about and document those plan operations. And we call that through process narratives. So when I am really explaining that to others in general terms, it's we need a basic understanding of how transactions get recorded in that plans environment. So how participants get enrolled into the plan, how participants get their contributions into the plan, um, how, do, how do I take a loan? Or if I a terminated employee, how do I go about getting you know, my distribution? Or if the plan offers hardship and I need to get a hardship withdrawal, how do, how do I go about doing those things? And so as auditors, we need to know how all those items are processed. And, you know, obviously 2019 probably plans operated a certain way. But when we hit the remote world, you you couldn't walk down the, you know, office 
you know, door to door. Yeah. In the hallway and door to door and say, hey, can you approve this for me? (laughs) You know, you've got to figure out how you're going to do that remotely. And let's be honest, nobody was driving to anybody's house either going like, hey, would you mind signing off on this? No, because we were all scared. (laughs) We didn't know what we were dealing with. So we were all hunkered down. So, you know, what we we. We expect to see in 2020 some some major changes as it relates to that process, those controls and how those transactions get into the plan. Because, you know, Joanne, like you said, we might ask these questions every year, but there are going to be things that we're going to see that that are going to change. So I know that you have really started some of your audits. I'm still at the very beginning stages of mine. So do you have any examples of things that, you know, obviously they ran this way in 19, but then in 20, they've changed? Yes. So, and they are minor changes that when you initially have the conversation with your client, they may say, oh no, there's no changes. And then we start yeah. to ask more specific questions and they're like, oh yeah, we did do that. Um, and so the key is knowing when those changes occurred. So one of the biggest changes that we've seen to date is how plans are modifying their approvals. Now, approvals come in many different forms, right? It could be they're approving a loan or distribution from the plan. Um, it's their review of the contribution reconciliation or approval for a payroll related transaction, such as um, the funding of the contributions and loan repayments or change in a deferral percentage. So. Previously, say 2019, approvals may have been obtained with a live signature or by initiating and dating the document, right? A Word, an Excel, whatever it may be, but like a hard printout. Right. Now what we're seeing is um, a combination. Some plans are using DocuSign to obtain the approval because it'll keep the flow with the date and who's approved it. Um, We're seeing additional documentation on PDFs or Adobe's. Um, or an email approval. And what we've heard from a lot of clients is, you know, I've used the PDF or Adobe before, but now I've really become an expert on how we add a signature, how we document um, from that perspective. We are also seeing that if plans might have required a spousal consent for a certain transaction, we've seen this request being waived. And then lastly, we've seen an increase in communications through email to plan participants. And so, Communication is definitely a broad term. Um, the It could be an email approval communication, um, communication relating to modifications to the plan provisions because the plan has implemented some of the CARES Act relief provisions or changes to employer contributions, right? We've seen some plans suspend, reduce, or even terminate their employer contributions during 2020. So it's all of those items and it's now thinking, okay, well, yes, we've modified this knowing again when that timing has come into place and making sure that you have the documentation so that we can factor it into our PBC list um, and modify the the documentation or, or the request that we may have when we move into that final phase of the audit. Yes, I agree. And I was actually on a planning call the other day with a with a client and they said hey, you know, all the CARES Act relief stuff, you know, I really need um, help with that and all the things that we implemented in the plan. And are you going to test that within your um, audit? And we're like, absolutely. We have to look at the plan provisions and we will be looking at that um, CARES Act relief provisions and making sure that the plan is doing it appropriately. So, 
um, great points there. So now to kind of go into a different subject as it relates to you know, your transactions getting recorded into that benefit plan, because I keep talking about how, how does you know, transactions get in. And, and what we talked about just then together is that's what's happening at the plan sponsor. So generally plans really don't maintain independent accounting records. You know, plan management outsources the recording of their plan transactions to what we call the third party service provider in the industry. And so that gives a little twist to our audit environment when basically the general ledger function is outsourced for the plan, which we need to audit. So, I mean, we can't just obviously blow off what happens at the third party administrator. We've got, you know, we got to look at that and how that you know, really interacts with um, the plan sponsor. So, you know, what in the world are we to do here? So luckily, our profession is, you know, based on the auditing standards that we have, we can rely on what we call a SOC report. Now we could get extremely technical in this area, but we really want to stay high level, of course. And so I'm, I'm going to be really basic here. Uh, <laughs> if you can be basic when you're talking about a SOC report. Yes. I know. I heard that giggle, Joe. <laughs> so there are two types of SOC reports, but right here we're only going to talk about a SOC 1 type 2 report. So let me make that clear. So, you know, this report includes an opinion on the operating effect effectiveness sorry, of the controls and a detailed description of the auditor's tests of operating effectiveness of the controls and the results of those tests throughout a specified period at these third party service providers. Basically, plain Jane English here. You have where you have a third party administrator handling transactions for a plan. Another auditor goes in to that third party administrator and does basically controls testing over if they say these things happen in their environment, the auditor pulls those transactions and those actions and tests that it actually does happen. That's reviews, um, approvals, who can get in the system and, and, and all those things. And so that information is placed into this report. And so this information allows us as auditors to evaluate those controls and information that's coming from that third party provider and gain an understanding of how those transactions get processed. So this is an activity that would be done during planning in that section around risk assessment that we just talked about. So if a third party service provider, you know, their environment does all those things and the, the auditor says, hey, I'm giving you a, a, an opinion that's what we call unqualified. That's a clean opinion. You know, that's great since we just said this information is extremely critical to our audit and it helps us perform risk assessment and understand how, you know, things get into the what, quote unquote, the plans general ledger. Now I'm going to use a baseball term. Okay. So where we get into a pickle. And so I tell my, my boys, you just got into a pickle where you get caught in between second base and third base and you kind of 
possibly get into a rundown and you don't, you're kind of going back and forth. Uh, what do I do? What do I do? So where we get into a pickle is when one of these service providers receives what we call a qualified opinion on their SOC report. So, you know, what that means is, is, hey, something didn't work in the system. So, Joe, I hope you're not asleep from all that um, explanation. <laughs> but what happens if we have a qualified SOC report in our audit and, you know, share some of the exceptions that we're kind of dealing with right now that have caused, you know, some of these qualified reports and, you know, what is a plan sponsor and an auditor um, to do? All right. You, I know you tried to keep it very basic, but it was still very high level. So I'm going to hopefully kind of explain it a little bit easier when we're in this pickle. Okay. I want to go back to something uh, very important that you just said. Plan management outsources the recording of the plan transactions to a service provider. So this could be a trustee, a custodian, an insurance company, or a third party. Because Beth, you know how many times when we ask a client, how does this get done? Oh, well, I've outsourced it to <laughs> blah, 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 blah. So this is what the SOC report is going to do. It's going to tell you how blah, 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 blah gets done. Um, you also have to keep in mind that there is not a general ledger for the plan being maintained by plan management or the plan sponsor. You, those charged with governance, are using another platform or system that you do not maintain control or test, right? So right. you're outsourcing. You're putting all of your faith into, and just for this, let's just say with your trustee that we're giving them the information and it's going into their system and everything is going right. Um, that's why it's so important to get the SOC 1 because it's going to give you that level of comfort that, yes, your trustees' platform or um, systems are working properly, they're operating properly and effectively. Um, if there's an issue when you were talking about the auditor going into the trustee and testing it, um, this is where you could get a qualified report. So if there's an issue with this, the trustee service provider or platform that is deemed to be severe, then the SOC 1 report is going to be qualified. Now, the qualification really relates to uh, IT general controls or ITGC. A lot of times it specifically relates to logical access or project change management. The key is remembering that these qualifications are at the service provider level and not at the plan level. So there's really nothing that the plan could do because it's it's at the location where you've outsourced your information. So we're going to evaluate the qualifications um, and their impacts to our risk assessment and our plan audit procedures. Um, based on our evaluation, uh, plans could see an increase in sample sizes or mailing of confirmation to plan participants, additional inquiries, or the possibility of a new test being performed or analyzing data through the use of advanced data analytics. So once we get the qualified report, we can't go as, okay, well, it's it's the same, right? We're the audit as usual. No, we've got to address this because there is an issue with who's maintaining your general ledger and how they're processing the transactions. Um, we love when we can know early on that there's a qualified SOC 1 report because um, we're going to have to assign more time for the audit. Like I said, I gave four examples, right? Uh, we may have to increase our sample size, more testing, mailing of confirmations, and we still want to make sure that we've planned all of this out accordingly. Um, in addition, don't necessarily wait for your auditor to tell you that your 
SOC, the SOC 1 report for your service provider is qualified. Plan management will receive a copy of their SOC 1 report. Um, they should also perform their own independent review. And I do realize that those reports can be lengthy because they're about 150 pages, but um, you'll know within the first 15 pages if there's a qualification. Yes, in the in the AICPA um, actually has a handout that would help plan sponsors uh, look through those SOC reports and do a, do a decent review. So, um, you know, you could look to the AICPA to get that checklist. But I do want to, um, before we go on to, you know, our next subject, um, I would like to point out that these SOC reports do not test cybersecurity or really have, you know, anything to to do with cybersecurity. And uh, we, just this uh, past week, the Department of Labor, it might have been the week before, because, you know, life keeps happening really quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, the Department of Labor did do a uh, release on some cybersecurity guidelines. And so do look for, you know, really soon a podcast on what that report looks like. So um, hot off the presses, we do want to talk about that real soon. So, well, we are running out of time, but we did want to leave, you know, our audience with some best tips to have a smooth audit. And some people might say, you just said the word smooth and run an audit. Is that possible? Um, yes, it is. You, you really can. But, um, and, you know, Joanne and I are going to kind of go back and forth and tell you really what it takes. So from my audit experience, you know, I work with mainly larger audits and it's more than, you know, one week for planning and, and one week for final field work. And there's, you know, quite a bit of investment work, et cetera, in there, you know, us having a weekly check-in really keeps both parties on track. And um, I joke about having open communications. Um, let's be real. If you do not communicate with your children, your spouse, your coworker, your clients, et cetera, your relationship is not going to be stellar. So just like with all those examples, with here, it's key in this relationship is to keep open communications going back and forth. And so if clients know the date that, you know, they're slipping and, and we're missing some of those deadlines, you really need to look at that project plan. And, you know, if this date's you know moving, then you, you're going to have to kind of go down the list in essence is what I'm saying. Yeah. And Beth, I would clarify I like to say it's open and honest communications, right? We can plan for anything as long as we know what it is in advance. So I work on all different types of plans, right? Small, large, medium, you know, um, I'm like Goldilocks when it comes to plans. <laughs> uh, but it's open and honest communication. Hey, factor in other deadlines, factor in vacation time. Yes. Um, let us know when it is. We can all deal with it. Um, so that everyone is well prepared. I mean, yeah, some of mine I have weekly calls. Some of them went bi-weekly calls. Um, but I think once you get that an initial request list and you look at it and go, yeah, we can get this to you in 10 days or we do this in two weeks or, you know, um, it it just puts everyone up front and knows what's going to happen in the timing. Oh, I agree. And, yeah. 
and, and you know, with my clients, um, because they're larger, we do need to have weekly calls, but um, just email the, you know, plan sponsors. If you're, you've hit a snag, email the auditor and make sure that, you know, they know you're, you're still looking at the list and, you know, need some additional time. There's a client that um, we had that said, do not come before August 1 around that, that timing because her, her kids went back to school and she said, I can have a better, you know, response time to you once my kids are back in school. So I want you to come after August. And so, you know, those kind of things of no, that's payroll dates or, or whatever, just be cognizant. Yeah, absolutely. So what other kind of information, um, you know, should they have on hand um, to help out? So the next biggest area of help is being prepared and with the reconciliations. A lot of the information that we're asking for, um, plan management may have already pulled, especially for your non-compliance testing. Um, but it's the reconciliations, right? It's the census data or the eligibility population to payroll, um, right? You've reconciled payroll by the end of January because you had to get your W-2s out. Um, it's reconciling that information. Then you sent that information over to whoever did your compliance testing. Um, so boom, that's put that in the drawer. That's ready to go for your audit. Then it's your remittance schedule, right? And that shows you what left payroll, what was received by your trustee, and it calculates the lag time. Um, that can be reconciled on a quarterly basis um, or you know weekly, however you want to do it. Quar I have most clients that do it quarterly. Um, that can be done, again, at the end of the year. Then you get your reports from your trustee, and you can see that it all ties. That goes a long way of just showing the preparedness, right? Of just, oh yeah, I know you're going to need the minutes. Like I almost, I always tell my clients, like, hey, just have an open folder. You, yes. right? You, if you've been with me for for quite a few years, as some of my clients have, you almost know. Oh, she's going to want the minutes. Oh, she's going to want the bond. Oh, her team's going to want, you know. Oh, we changed investments. Um, and just start, you know, kind of tossing it in the folder throughout the year, so you're ready. And I, I get that. Yeah. That's going to be challenging for someone who's going through an audit for the first time. And so that's where it comes back to, oh, my God, this is a long list of things. Give me a few weeks. Let me see if I can pull it. Um, again, it's that open and honest communication goes so, so far so well. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, we are absolutely out of time. And as you can tell, we really like talking about audits. I know we need some help. <laughs> uh, um our BDO, ERISA Center of Excellence on BDO.com, touches all topics, retirement, and other HR trends to keep plan sponsors up to date. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to BDO Talks ERISA. Past episodes are available at BDO.com slash BDO Talks ERISA. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also send us feedback, questions, or ideas you have for future topics at BDOTalksArissa at BDO.com. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit BDO.com slash ERISA.